Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. It's a long-awaited episode this week, Sol. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's going to be the one of a trilogy. The most epic trilogy we've ever done, perhaps. Uh, mm. Yes, we have finally... finally yeah, we have finally given in and, and we're going to tackle the Lord of the Rings series. Uh, thanks to uh, our Patreon supporters who voted for this, possibly just to annoy us. Now, the reason we've got to two, <laughs> the reason we've got to over two hundred episodes without doing this, probably the most popular franchise in film history, <laughs> is because neither of us like it. And, <laughs> so. and uh, importantly, for the sake of our listeners not feeling shortchanged, Calvin also uh, detests these films. So, uh, so we banned him. Yeah, in, in the sake of balance, we we've brought in a a Lord of the Ringer, as it were. Someone, someone we know who can be counted on to offer a, a positive voice. Uh, yes, and that person is uh, our good friend uh, and past housemate, who has probably been mentioned in anecdotes on this fine podcast. Definitely has. Uh, it is, of course, uh, Sean Morrison. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me on the show. Hello. That, oh, that's me yeah, clapping, of course, yes. clapping Sol, for the NHS. Soul clapping there. Sean is obviously, a, well, not obviously, Sean is a, a medical doctor. And uh, as such is a hero. Yeah. Uh, right now, just for the next couple of months and then he'll just be normal again. Well, that, that's also relevant because this is, um, you know, we, we had a three episode gap in the schedule because every film's been delayed for the next year or so. So yes. that's the other reason we're doing Lord of the Rings now because we, we thought, hmm, what what is there like a lot of just padded out nonsense that we can use to fill, fill a gap <laughs> in the schedule? Uh, so Sean, um, very, very relevant to this week as the you're, when I think of Lord of the Rings, I think of you. That's good. Fair yeah. Enough. Of course, Sean, you were you were supposed to be working right now, and we said no. <laughs> Come and do the podcast. We agreed to do the podcast. Fuck those ill people. Yeah, the people need entertainment. You did it. You did it because you're a good friend. For the record, you're a, you're a true hero. You're a podcast hero. I mean, for the record, this is actually my day off, so don't fire me. <laughs> how can how can heroes have a day off? I don't. No. Come on. Like I told you, I'm on the surgical ward. There's like no patients in the surgical ward. <laughs> anyway, enough of our topical banter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we probably get stuck right. We probably should get stuck right in because this is a long, <laughs> a long, Longwood arduous slag. drudge of a film we've got to get through. Okay, so Lord of the Rings one, as it is officially known, um, <laughs> that's what we're going to do. Whoa, with whoa, this week. Whoa, whoa. We're going to do <laughs> use the full title. <laughs> He did, Lord of the Rings <sighs> 1. <laughs> so, yes, this is... The, the Lord of, of the Rings 1. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, so, The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, which, yes, could be a gay porn film. So, uh, Sean, mm. I would like to invite you here to give us a bit of preamble about the Lord of the Rings film series. Uh, what's, what's the history? So obviously this was a set of books written by J.R.R. Tolkien um, to be a a sequel to The Hobbit. So I, I think at the time his his publishers were expecting another Hobbit science book to come out of Tolkien, um, and he dumped this. And Hobbits are quite small, aren't they? Uh, well, Hobbits are small. <laughs> the book's quite small. Um, Lord of the Rings is is not a small book. Is it? Is just one book because obviously it's broken up into lots of films. Well, it well it's it's one book in the sense that Kill Bill is one film. It it was 
my understanding is it was written as one, uh, conceived of as one, but then, you know, before yeah. it got released, people were like, look, you can't release a 20 billion page novel, that's insane. It's not financially viable. <laughs> Let's chop it up. Well, talking, he conceived of it as one book. So he, he wasn't happy with them splitting it up, but I think just due to the sort of the costs of that kind of printing in the day, they just, it wasn't financially viable for them to do that. Uh, but he, he did write it as one book uh, over 15 years. And so what, what you, as and this helps that you're a medical doctor, what, what mental illness was J.R. Tolkien suffering from? Oh, he, I mean, I genuinely, he was 100% autistic. Um, and I, I make that diagnosis myself. <laughs> <laughs> now, you are not a medical doctor, is that right? So, <laughs> you are... No, but he, he, he absolutely amateur. was. People always... And, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not suggesting that in a derogatory sense again, but people, you know, people always go on about his knack for world building and how amazing it was that he was world building. Uh, no, no concern for, like, his ability to form a narrative, because he didn't really have that. It was just world building. And it's like, yeah, I, I one of my best friends at... High school back in year seven when I started was this autistic kid and he never went out at lunchtime and he just sat in the classroom coming up with planets and aliens and you'd come in and you go I've just created your planet the the Kringle Snogs and they they're going to war with uh, James's planet uh, with the Crumbledy Bumps and uh, they're going to fight over my mining mining materials and crystals and and. And every lunch he'd come in and he'd drawn like another alien race and another set of planets and come up with a new language for them. And that's all Lord of the Rings is. It's just, you know, it's it's the ramblings of uh, an autistic man. I know you're not supposed to, like, diagnose people after their death and all that, but there's so many, so many anecdotal stories of things with J.R. Tolkien where he, you know, he was a right curmudgeon, he hated industrialization. He he hated cars, um, he refused to speak any language other than Latin in church. He fell out with his wife or something and wouldn't speak to her for three years or something because he mm-hmm. like there was some three year sentence put on her. But then the day, literally the day three years was up, he proposed to her. He was not a normal person, <laughs> basically. Um, to I, I don't know how to put that in you know a, a sensitive way, but he was just obviously abnormal in some way and and i think it's not that's okay though a lot of the greatest creatives and even yeah 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 you know the, the greatest thinkers are, will fall into that category because you, you have to be quite single-minded on something to devote oh, so much time and energy yeah. into it well i think the interesting thing is that it was he, he conceived his languages first he was he was very much a man who loved his languages and mm. he just wanted a way to explain the history of these made-up languages that he'd come up with so i i do agree in that it is a bit of a it, the languages came first, and then he just kind of went blindly from there into into the world he was making. Yeah, uh, yeah. So Tolkien wrote the book. Was it a success? Um, it it seemed to build from after he'd finished that. I think people quite liked the Hobbit, and then after there, it, it sort of took off. Which I don't think he was as big a fan of as as you might expect. You know that there was. Like things appearing in like subways saying like Frodo lives and all that. And I don't think he he necessarily liked that. Well, yeah, he didn't like any any form of change. He didn't like it. No, no, I I I don't think he was one who liked the sort of commercial aspects of it. it it's hard to say. I I don't think he really liked the films at all. Oh really? 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I I have to say, my experience of Tolkien purists is that they do tend to be quite split on the films, um, and the films are very much a kind of you know mainstream populist interpretation of his work. But you know, my my okay. my ex girlfriend of many years was a huge Tolkien fan. And she hated the film. She thought they were terrible adaptations of his work, and many of her friends and family were similarly um, hugely into Tolkien, and again, very dismissive of what he did with the... uh, Sorry, what Peter Jackson did with the Mm. work when he adapted it to film, so... Sean, you've read the books, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So would you consider this to be a a sort of faithful adaptation? So I think, considering the source material, Peter Jackson did... A fantastic job of of translating that into film because they're very heavy books. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot of fat in the books that just do not work in film. I think there's a lot of scenes that were cut from the books that fans got very annoyed about. But you just you can't put that into a film without making the film like incredibly bloated and five hours long. It, it just wouldn't work. So I think they did. Well, so they didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> they did with the Hobbit. <laughs> They just put them all in The Hobbit, didn't they? I mean, The Hobbit is the opposite of of how they filmed Lord of the Rings. With Lord of the Rings, they were, you know, trying to pull away as much as they could while leaving, like, the backbone of the story in there. Um, And it was difficult, you know, because they are heavy books. Like, there's a lot more that happens in them that doesn't happen in films. I think, I I agree, I, I do think that was their approach. I don't think they did a very good job of it. I don't think there is nearly enough story in The Fellowship of the Rings to justify it being longer than about 90 minutes at the very most. So much of it could... <laughs> it's just so much of it is like repetitive and, oh, it's another battle, and then this happens again, this goes here, this goes back, this goes here. It, it, there's n- Do you know what I mean? It, for, for all of these repetitive battle sequences to be present and left intact, you presumably... I don't know, there needs to be more purpose. There needs to be some kind of character arc being moved forward or some meta-narrative happening. Yeah, just to just to throw a kind of overview here, maybe as we're getting started here. Um, I've watched these films many years ago, uh, and I have some memories of that, but I'm re-watching them now, and I've only watched mm. Fellowship so far. So I'm not 100% sure what's coming up now, but my memory of it is that the second one was much more battle-heavy and nothing happens. Whereas the first one, I felt... It, it did push along. The narrative pushed along. It kind of ends at a end of a chapter kind of feel. But yeah, there isn't a really good narrative arc pushing through the first film. It feels like the first part of a three-parter. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that in terms of film series, but this, this was put out as, look, this isn't one film and then we might do a sequel. It's the three films and you're going to have to watch them all for it to yeah. make sense. I'm not a big fan of that, especially when they're being two years apart or whatever it is, but... Um, I think it was only one year in this case, but yeah, because they yeah, they shot yeah. all these back to back, and you know, so there was never any doubt that they were going to get the sequels, yeah, exactly. as far as I know. But I guess the, the the narrative arc here is Frodo kind of going from naive young Hobbit to uh, taking on the responsibility, and and kind of mm. you know the last bit, the last thing is him like going right, yeah, I'm going to go off and do this. Obviously, he's doing that throughout, but that's the kind of growth he mm. goes through, I suppose. It's the most minute, tiniest, yeah. subtle bit of growth because he's he's up for it from the start. There's never a point where he kind of goes, "I don't want to do this." 
Well, no, there is because when he's in no, the, no more than a superficial way. Well, because no, because there's a scene in the mines when he's he's just he's got all this self doubt and he's just like I'm, I'm at the end of my tether, tether, and it's Gandalf who has to sit down with him and be like, no, look, this it sucks that this happened to you, but you know you just got to do what you can. But having self doubt isn't this isn't the same as like not embracing it and not wanting to do it. No, but there's also a degree of naivety in, at the start of it, I think. You know, he's he's semi up for adventure. He's he, he's in love with the Shire, but he he's also, you know, he wants to mimic Bilbo and go off on one of these whimsical adventures and it's halfway through he kind of you get to this point when he realizes it's it's not the same. You know, this is this is a lot a lot darker, a lot mm. worse than the stories. Well, because yeah, his mate nearly drowns, and I wish he did drown in that scene. I was so infuriated. Um, and, um, so I, I am at the time of recording. I have seen the Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, I don't know. I, I saw it in the cinema back when it came out. I remember going to see it with my mum and her becoming increasingly frustrated and just being like, oh, every time the film like didn't finish and it just carried on. <laughs> um, and not being particularly blown away by it, but not completely hating it or anything, just sort of being like, yeah, because, you know, I'll have been 11 and not particularly discerning back in 2001. Mm. And then this is a film I've seen by, well, by far and away the most out of this series, because it's every now and then I'll think, oh, I should really watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I've still not seen it. Um, that's something I should uh, point out I've still not seen at the time of recording The Return of the King Uh, so that is going to be a new experience for me in two episodes from now Uh, (laughs) but yeah I every now and then like at uni I remember when we lived together there was a point where we were like look we should all do The Lord of the Rings I've still not seen the third one I've only seen half of the second one or seen it in pieces or something I, we should do it. And I remember we sat down and watched the first one, and I think Alan and myself got increasingly pissed off as it <laughs> went on, and Sean got very um, defensive and jumping in, and I guess we never made it to the second one, because <laughs> it just wasn't <laughs> worth it. Um, so it's kind of cool that I'm finally going to be able to tick that third one off, just from a kind of Ooh, I'm doing. You know, I, I've seen this many films from IMDb's top two fifty and that sort of thing. I'm proud of you, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the thing is, not to jump too ahead of ourselves, but the the main reason I do not like this film is its complete lack of ending and conclusion. And the third film will have an ending. In fact, from what I'm told, it's got about twenty of them. So, <laughs> see, I've never understood. So that. I'm, like, I might enjoy see- that that's kind of where I am with Lord of the Rings. Uh, Sean, I imagine you're sort of like Calvin with his James Bond films. You just watch them every few years and go back and revisit. And Yeah, I, well, I was actually in the process yeah. of re-watching them before you messaged me to ask me to come on the show. So it was it was ah. fate. Have you have you ever played around with the order you watch them in? Like, oh, I'll watch the Hobbit films and then the Lord of the Rings films all back to back okay, okay. and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm going to stop you right there because I <laughs> detest the Hobbit films. <laughs> good, good. The Hobbit uh, trilogy is another one where I've not seen the third film. It seems to be a recurring pattern with these where I kind of go in with the first one. Wait, did you see the second check out Hobbit? on the second one and then... Oh, the second Hobbit is like... For for everything I'm going to be saying about this franchise, 
I think they are technically well-made films. Uh, the, <laughs> the second Hobbit was the first time where it was like, no, that was bad. That was badly made. I cannot believe <laughs> you was... saw that film. <laughs> oh god, it was it was fucking terrible. But you know, I I, I genuinely uh, I like the Hobbit. I I read the Hobbit as a kid. I really like that book. I had the book on tape as well. I used to listen to it all the time. So you know, I, I I'm not approaching this series from a, a place of hate, but. It's similar to when we discussed Harry Potter. I kind of like this stuff when it's just a fun little bit of nonsense for kids. Mm. And the second you get to like Harry Potter 5 and it starts taking itself incredibly seriously and you know, just two books ago you had people flying vacuum cleaners and eating chocolate frogs and all of a sudden it's acting like it's war and peace or some, you know, in- incredibly important tome. I just think, oh, get over yourself. Like, don't get so up your own ass. And I kind of feel about <laughs> that, that way with Lord of the Rings because The Hobbit, it's a fun, li- nice little story, you know? It's, you can forgive all well, the, then... yeah. To bring to bring a point which I think is relevant to what you just said, one of my main sort of concerns with this film and with the whole thing in general is that I'm not getting a sense of analogy here or metaphor. It's, yes, it's, it's like yeah. fantasy world, but it's it's not. The ring doesn't represent anything that we might be able to identify with. It's it's a magic ring that they yeah. have to destroy because it contains all the evil of the world. There's and and that, bear in mind that, that this yeah. this this is ri- this was written. Sort of at a time of the Second World War, basically, wasn't it? So by someone who was in like, the Second World War, yeah, yeah, who fought in the it, war. He fought in the First World First War. First World War. He, he was too old to. Oh, did he really? Oh, yeah, right. he so, was in the trenches. He was quite old by then, yeah. Um, but yeah, like it feels like there is a lot of kind of nationalism here. There's a lot yeah. of these separate tribes and and conflict between them, having to come together and all that. And he definitely evil, seems but, to appreciate a class structure, if nothing else. Yeah, but other than that, it doesn't feel like it's saying anything, and mm. it also it, it's also very black and white. In some cases, literally, like these guys <laughs> on black horses, they're the bad guys. This woman on the white horse, she's the good guy. That sort of thing. Yeah, you, you really put, kind of put the ring on, then it goes evil. Oh, it actually is black and white now. Okay, <laughs> there's a but like in a kind of really simple film like the old western sense you know black hat and white hat it's it's, it feels really basic in that sense my my hang up with this film when i was younger was like too long boring i don't like high fantasy as a general rule no ending and no ending was the thing i stuck on but watching it again last night i can tell you right now the reason that i do not like this film is well, number one, no ending. Number two, no real character arcs. I, we, we've had mm-hmm. a bit of a discussion there, and there's an argument for the slightest bit of characterization with Frodo, but that's kind of it. And number three is there's no subtext. It's completely superficial. Yeah. There's no depth or meaning, unless I'm completely missing it. Uh, in which case, Sean, please... Well, I mean, first of all, about the separate character arcs, <laughs> I think the character arc of Boromir is is an excellent story. You know, it, it's kind of about resisting that that temptation and just failing miserably at the end of the Boromir, film. Boromir, that's Mr. Bean, right? Sean Bean. Sean Bean yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Boromir, aka the Horn of Gondor. But but that but is that an excellent story? That's that's the same arc they all go through of being tempted by the ring. Well, yeah, but it just being like, oh, I'm really into it. And- I think he's, he's such a, a good character because essentially his. His home city is just being constantly like 
attacked by the big bad guy's forces, Sauron's forces. And he's at the forefront oh, that's of that. Can I just can I stop you straight away there, Sean? I didn't know that. I didn't know that his home city was being attacked constantly by a bad guy. I'm, he does, in he this does film? talk about I'm, it. Yeah, yeah, they, they do mention yeah. it. Does he talk about it in the normal theatrical version of yes, the film? Yes, they, they, they the talk extended? about it in the, the Council can, can of I... Elrond. Okay, okay. To be fair, anything that happened in the last hour of this film, I was mentally gone. I had oh, Sol, Sol, I, so. I watched it in three chunks of about an hour each. There's, there's, there's <laughs> sort of good. I, there is good chapter breaks in the film to to, to have a pause. Yeah, I watched yeah. it around Tiger King. We, we kind of, I was going back and forth. <laughs> <between>. <laughs> I've um, I've actually made a note. I've checked in with myself once every half hour. To kind of give you a sense of where I'm up to, how I'm Did feeling. Did you set an alarm on your phone? Still, uh, <laughs> no, I just, I just, I just kept checking the time and being like, "Oh god, this much left." But um, the thing is, I this film was on Netflix until uh, yesterday or the day before, when it seems like they pulled it off. And I what, noticed, oh my, <laughs> and I noticed, oh god, it's three and a half fucking hours long. Dear God. So I I sat down to watch it last night, and it wasn't on Netflix. And so I got it off a uh, a legitimate source, and it was three hours. And I was like, oh my God, it's not three and a half hours. Amazing. (laughs) And I I was so happy. So I went into this with a really kind of upbeat attitude um, that I trimmed half an hour off right from the start. (laughs) So, uh, what were we talking about? Okay, so, Sean, I think you were trying to defend Lotharings. <laughs> so, I mean, in, in terms of subtext and things, though, I, I, I think you are missing a big point in that these films are looking at okay. the, the very nature of evil. You know, is, is evil uh, an internal construct? Is it an external construct? You know, you, you have you have the likes of, of Sauron and the Dark Tower and the Ring, and it's kind of these these are just pure evil things that are in the film. But then you've also got this kind of internal conflict of the ring. You know, is is your desire to keep like when Bilbo struggles to let go of the ring, is that sort of yeah. himself that's struggling? Is that the ring that's causing that? Is it a bit of both? And I, I think as you kind of go through the films and a lot of the scenes involving Bodomir as well, it's like, w- what's the evil here? Is is it the ring that's bringing out the evil in people? Is it causing it? Is Is the evil just there and the ring's just part of that? You know, I, I think it brings about this whole philosophy of, of the nature of evil. I, I do agree with you that I think Tolkien is is very bad at setting, like, the orcs are bad, the elves are good. They're, yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of that, uh, I will admit. But I, I love the whole sort of... Yeah, I, I hate racism too. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, orcs aren't people. <laughs> They're made out of mud, apparently, which is pretty cool, actually. I did like that. Yeah, I think that was pure Peter Jackson. Oh, really? That, that The whole orcs being born out of mud isn't... It's the never really talked about in the books, um, so we don't really know where they come from, so that was that was a Jackson invention. Oh, right. Oh, which which I liked. I thought it was a nice touch. It's, it's, I was going to say, it's one yeah, of the coolest scenes in the yeah, film. Yeah, but, yeah. Nice visual thing, yeah. But it, it it felt very born out of his horror movie past when I watched oh, yeah. that. That's probably why it kind of jumped out at me. 
we're sort of jumping around all the place. I want to. I want to just go to the plot a little bit. I want to. I want to go to the start of the film. I w- well, I want to go to the start. Good. Of the I've film. got loads of notes that are very chronologically based now, <laughs> so this is good. Let's settle in. What I, What I want to talk about is the opening prologue, which is oh my god, seven minutes long. Um, is it Kate Blanchett doing the voiceover? Yeah, yeah. Um, so a, a seven-minute prologue just to set up the history of the world before you even start the film which I think is terrible, frankly. I think it's really bad storytelling. And especially in a film that is so long, (laughs) it's like, if you're taking the time to tell a story, then why do you need to do this? But I also think you could just take that wholesale and put it somewhere else in the film. You could set a little bit of world, get the whole Bilbo thing going, and then when Bilbo and Gandalf are talking about the ring... Then you throw it in there, or maybe when he's explaining it to Frodo or whatever. There was a point where I was like, this is where you do a bit of flashback and have Gandalf mm. doing the voiceover. Or, you know, yeah, drip it yeah, in a bit yeah. more slick. But you just have a big seven-minute chunk of pure, like, here's the history you need to know with a voiceover it's, explaining but it's, it's it in basic absolute, It's absolute fucking nonsense as well. I think that's the main problem I have with it. Like, I, If it was dropped in halfway through the film and I'd connected with the characters a bit and got into it, it wouldn't be so bad. But, yeah. right, Sean, I really need you to walk me through this because it, Lord of the Rings, one of the main reasons I've never really liked it is it, the basic premise doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> and I hate it. So <laughs> I'm, guessing, I'm guessing this is explained in more detail in the books, right? So... Let's let's see if I've got this right, okay? Yeah. Some people, it doesn't specify in the films, but a load of people made a load of magic rings. Mm-hmm. Like as just as like someone made the internet one day. It's the same thing, just like technological advancement, we've made some rings, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh they for some reason gave five of those to the elves, seven to the dwarves, three, nine three to the men. To the elves. Oh sorry, three to the elves, five to the dwarves, nine to the men. That seems like a an odd disparity, but okay. Who made the rings and gave them out? First question. Okay, so it, it, initially it was an elf called Celebrimbor, with the help of Sauron, who was sort of under the guise of a good guy at the time. It doesn't explain this in the films, but that, that's... Okay, okay. Now, then Sauron mm-hmm. decides that he's going to, like create an evil master ring to take control of the other rings. Yes. So, essentially, he's, like, hacking into, like, a backdoor in the magic code. He's going to kind of create a, a ring that exploits something but about he, the other rings. If he's been secretly part of making the other rings, then that's, yeah, he's, he's a Trojan horse there, isn't he? But, yeah, but yeah. the other film doesn't... No, but the film never explains that he was involved making the first set of rings, does it? No. Because this is my main question is... Why can't everyone else just make a ring to rule all the rings? Um, Why is it only Sauron who's capable of doing that? Because he was an incredibly powerful being, uh, and not just anyone can can make a magic ring. But if he was an incredibly powerful being who's so powerful he's the only one who can make this ring, then surely he's powerful enough without the ring to rule the world anyway. Well, no, or it's because like it makes- he put... Part it's like when you go for a tan and you put tin foil around you and it kind of reflects the sun back on yourself <laughs> exactly. so you're amplifying. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, 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 because he, he kind of he split his soul and put part of it into the ring. So essentially he is a little bit diminished without the ring because in, in order to make this ring so powerful, he had to, the story is he had to split his soul, sort of put part of it into it, which is also why he didn't die when they killed him at the start of the film. Okay. 
Next question. Is is any of that in the film? Uh, no. <laughs> it, it, it just kind of seems like you've got seven minutes of exposition dump at the start. Maybe mention that, because... Because I spent the whole film, every time I watch it, thinking, well, why doesn't Bilbo just... Why doesn't Gandalf just team up with another wizard and make a ring? And and if they're not powerful enough to make that master ring, why don't they make the next ring down because make, because the, amplifies the, the, their because power the so that they're then powerful the enough to make the master ring? Yeah, but no one's using the master ring, it's lost. So make, make like a tenth tier ring that's not nearly as powerful, but will amplify their power... And then they can make another more powerful ring using that power, and then they can use that power to create a new master ring that is as powerful as the master ring, and then it's like everyone's got nuclear weapons and it's not a problem. Could they combine their rings? No. Like if they all hold them up over the heads at the same time? Uh, I don't think it's Captain Planet, so no. But the reason they can't make their own ring, even if they could, is because essentially you just end up with a powerful being with too much power. And I think one of the main themes of these films is that power will corrupt, which is why Gandalf didn't want to accept the film, the ring at the start of the film, mm. because he knew that it would yeah, just yeah, lead yeah. on to him being another Dark Lord. And yeah, and then we do the exact same thing with Aragorn as well. Yeah, but they need someone who who can withstand that instant without being corrupted, like Tony Stark with the Infinity Gauntlet, and then he snaps his fingers and done. Yeah, but he died at the end, didn't he? Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alright, so the basic premise is nonsense, and I hate it. Uh, <laughs> but, alright, fair enough, you have to accept the the price of admission to the film is that you go through this there's one ring, and the film never explains it, which I think is terrible, because it's such an obvious kind of, well, hang on, you know. Uh, okay, so then we get um, a bit of The Hobbit dropped in during mm. all this exposition at the start. A bit of Bilbo hanging around with Gollum. Yeah, yeah. It's nice, that, isn't it? <laughs> it's all. It's almost like with that, and Bilbo telling the story about the trolls and all the other references to the Hobbit in this film, it's almost like there was no need to make a film out of the <laughs> Hobbit, isn't it? I mean, I agree. I agree with that. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? Instead of making a film out of the Hobbit, what if we make three films out of the Hobbit? <laughs> Imagine the money. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just to chuck in a bit of praise and stop being so negative, well, um, the music in this film is very, very good, very nice. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely love the score. I th- I'd say it's one of the one of the more recent iconic scores. So I we've spoken on the show before about how there don't really seem to be iconic scores nearly as often as they used to be, and that's arguably down to how film music is composed and editing techniques used nowadays and so forth. Um, but I do think the Lord of the Rings theme is quite iconic and well-known. I mean, I must say, I couldn't... I couldn't... <laughs> I couldn't hum the Lord of the Rings theme for you now. I, I don't know how it goes. That's when Sauron comes in. <laughs> Sean, give give me give me the first three notes of of the Lord of the Rings theme, and I'll see if I can remember it. 
Wait, that's Lion King too. <laughs> no. Three I mean, if- blind mice. <laughs> well, he asked for the first three notes. That was the first three notes. I know I'm trying. I genuinely can't remember the, the theme that I'm trying to praise. Come on, Sean, how's it go? Oh, you're it. Yeah. Every time I hear it, I think, oh, is that the Lord of the Rings theme? I thought that was some other film. And then I think, oh, no, it is. It is. Which is, you know, it's it's good. It's It's a good score. I think it's great because it works well over the off three films, you know, in in the council. Oh my god, really? They use they. No, no, no. Because there's different (sighs) themes for like the different peoples. They kind of touches on in some scenes, and then when you go to like different parts of Middle Earth, they they come a bit more. So an example is like when Boromir first stands up; he's one of the men. Mm in the Council of Elrond, you get the theme of Gondor, which is very, very subtle, and like, blink and you'll miss it. Mm. But then in the, the third film, it plays very heavily for that. So it's it's all these nice little touches that you, you notice on rewatching. See, I did actually make the note uh, an hour and 30 into the film, even the music's getting boring now, it's just the same theme tune on a loop. <laughs> so if they're using the same theme repeatedly for the next two films, then that No, no, the, like, the, 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 like, they're all different depending on who you're with and, and where you are. And there's that overarching okay. fellowship theme okay. that's kind of altered slightly depending on, on the tone. Mm. Okay, can I? I'll throw. Can I throw some praise out there if we're doing that? Okay. So obviously, one of the things they do in this film is play with scale because characters are supposed to be yeah. really short or whatever. And one, I think they handle some physical, uh, physical like in-camera effects really, really nicely. Uh, and secondly, I think the CGI holds up very well for. 2001 yeah basically i think it really has held up yeah i will second that i think the special effects in this film are are very very impressive um the cgi you can kind of see the cracks a little bit now but Mm. it's still very impressive for 2001 um yeah it holds up really well for cgi and like you say there's a really nice amount of in-camera stuff going on and Good special effects, good music. Um, I, I'm almost... I, I always kind of want to say that it's got really nice cinematography, this film. But I don't think the cinematography is actually anything remarkable. I think they just shot the film in New Zealand, yeah. which is a nice beautiful views. country. Yeah. <laughs> and I realised this last night. I don't think there's actually any particularly gorgeous shots or remarkable bits of lighting it's just really nice scenery. <laughs> and, you know, the costume and makeup's usually done very well within that as well. But, it, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I disagree with that. I mean, I, I think it's overall, it's, it's very good, solid cinematography, but there's there's some lovely little moments. Oh, there's nothing there's, wrong with it. Yeah. But I, I think there's a, there's a lot of really lovely cinematography that can be quite subtle, but like, for example, the scene when Gandalf chatting to Frodo um, and they're discussing about whether or not the rings, you know, the one ring or not, there's a lot of really great camera movements in that shot. They're very subtle, but they work really well. And I think the framing is excellent. And the lighting in scenes like that, where it's a bit more intimate, um, similarly down in the Caves of Moria, when you have these kind of one-on-one chats, I think there's some really well done lighting. Mm. It was just every time there was a moment that should have been a standout, like, oh, what a nice shot. 
you know, like like Gollum perched on a rock at the start, or the ring wraith off in silhouette stood up on the horizon. Just things like that, where it's like that should be a gorgeous shot. I'd kind of look at it and think, oh, it's kind of it's quite basic how they've done that. It's not like particularly imaginative framing. It's just kind of there and. But then you get shots like when they're all crouched under the tree and you've got this big Nazgul looming over them. I yeah, thought that was yeah, shot very yeah, well. Yeah, that's a nice shot. Um, I thought the acting was actually quite a mixed bag watching this film this time round. I, I kind of remembered it being very consistently well acted in the past, but mm. it, watching it yeah. again this time, so many of the people are emoting in this very unnatural way. I with, think that know, is down to direction, actually. Uh, oh, comp- I know, I know. I, absolutely it is. That's how people talk in fantasy worlds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, Sean, I've got a spontaneous quiz for you. You've got to answer quickly, all right? Oh, fuck. Name the nine actors who portray the Fellowship of the Ring. Okay, so you've got Ian McKellen, Elijah Wood, Dominic yeah. Monaghan, yeah. Billy Boyd, Sean yeah. Bean, right. uh, Sean Astin, yeah. John Rhys-Davies, yeah. Orlando Bloom, yeah. and Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> didn't nice. flinch. Yeah, wow. very nice. And I'm sure they can read a lot into the order you did those in. I'm mm. sure some some way we could. <laughs> that was your favourite. <laughs> I, I I can't remember. Uh, no, fair enough. Well done. You passed the, the Lord of the Rings test. <laughs> yeah, bad. but I I mean on the flip side, I suppose I I hate Frodo. I think he is the shittest, boringest. All the hobbits are awful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there is a. There seems to be. I feel like Merry and Pippin are just thrown in there for a bit of comic relief, and then we never quite get that. We never quite use them as much as you should. And then you've got Gimli and Legolas are supposed to have a bit of repartee uh, and banter, and you uh, barely see anything of that either. Terrible characters, yeah. Gandalf has a little bit of personality. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Vigo Mortensen's character is just to- so totally sincere down the line. I'm a moody strange enigmatic character which mm. works i suppose what he's doing but not a lot to get hold of there's a there's a couple of scenes where he comes alive and it's really nice you know like the one where he kind of tells bilbo to stop fucking around with that ring and get rid of it mm. um but most of the time he's very straight down the line and doesn't really yeah have much to do right 30 minutes in and i'm actually sort of enjoying it is the note i've written cool I've put, like, this is about five thresholds we're having to jump through to get to the plot, when it should just be one. I think that was to do with all the stuff with Gandalf going away and researching, Mm. and, oh, it is the ring, and then coming back, and then it's, like, just just open (laughs) with him being, like, let's get rid of this ring, mate. Yeah, that could so easily (laughs) just be, like, Bilbo's, oh my god, Bilbo, what's this ring? I know what this ring is, because I'm Gandalf, I know all this shit. Yeah. Well, Gandalf doesn't know everything. I know, but like for the sake of trimming fifteen minutes off a film, maybe he should know that one thing. But the thing is, they they did because that that point in the book from Bilbo's party to Gandalf coming and saying, "Look, this is the one ring. You need to get the fuck out of here." That was seventeen years in the book. Well, I, I'll concede that the book is worse than the film, but that doesn't make the film good. I mean, it works in a book. It wouldn't work in a film. Yeah. It just it just felt like, like I say, too many thresholds. It was just too many things we had to kind of get through to get going. But 
enough, like, it's done well enough. It's a technically well-made film. There's enough charm with Ian McKellen and, and Ian Holm and everything. that Like, it was working for me, so that 30 minutes in, it hadn't spent that goodwill, and I was kind of interested to see what happened, and excited to see what happened on this journey, and you know, I, I genuinely, I was like, oh, maybe I am going to come round on this film, on this viewing. And then? <laughs> All right, I, I've got a question. So Gandalf comes back and he's like, I've I've researched the ring. It's that really bad ring we've been looking for for years. And I didn't even think about that, even though it's a magic ring. And then he says, but look, bad guys are coming for you, mate, because um, they've been torturing Gollum and they got two words out of him, Baggins and Shire. How does he know that? <laughs> Didn't that you know that like you know when you hear like a shit uh, urban legend like the one about a guy who was waiting for a business call at midnight <laughs> and jumps off the roof because it doesn't come and then when he falls down he he looks through the window and sees the phone ringing and you're like well obviously it's bullshit because how did he like come on it's uh, how would yeah, Gandalf know that talks story? to gossiping moths. Who tell him? <laughs> no, he does talk to gossiping moths. You're right. All right. Yeah, fair enough. But I like how, like, the only information they got were two words: Baggins and Shire. I mean, that's a name and address, basically. I mean, <laughs> how specific do you need? To I mean, be? The, the Shire's pretty. Not only that. I, I mean, I'm I'm faster than a moth. <laughs> are you? I, I don't know yeah. who you are. I'm, so I'm faster than a moth. A brand new TV show coming soon. <laughs> In, in the books, Gandalf actually finds Gollum and sort of weasels that information Talk out of him after he'd been released from... I don't think he tortures him. But. Well, that that would have been better if he'd done that in this, because then he could be like, oh no, and suddenly there's some stakes and a, a ticking clock. He's got to rush to Bilbo and warn him. Yeah, like, I, I, I think they should have put important that in. information. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Okay, this is more a question about J.R. Tolkien... J- Two hours. Two hours. Well, yeah, I thought it was, but then I remembered that it's George R. R. Martin, and I was like, am I getting confused? <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien. What kind of writer thinks, right, what am I going to name the evil, evilest, big, bad boss in my book? Uh, Sauron. Sauron, yeah. All right. And now what am I going to call the second most evil, second most bad guy who's kind of his henchman? Uh, well, I can't. Just, I've just used Sauron. So, Saur, Sauron. <laughs> you know, he was a linguistics like a fucking, expert. So that's the thing. So it's it's like a fucking branch of Pokemon evolution. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's not how you name characters in a story. Yeah, it's but he confusing. was basing he was basing that off of his like the the languages that he was making. So I I can't remember exactly what it means, but like Sauron has like meaning in in whatever language it was in. So he kind of derived it from that. Presumably that means that their parents, you know, were just naming their children very matter-of-fact. Like, <laughs> well, <laughs> no, 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 this is a question then. So they they translate the language they're speaking into English for us viewers. So yeah. why do they not translate those names that are very specifically born out of the language into Simon and Fred? Because that's their name. Because they'd be called like, Evil and Evil Junior, and it'd just be some shit. Exactly. Well, it is shit, because there's a point when Gandalf says, oh, by the way, it's 24th of October today, on the Gregorian calendar, which exists in this universe. <laughs> yeah, I thought that as well. It's a bit too specific, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I just see that as it being translated for the audience. 
It's yeah, like I assume it's translated, a, but it's a translation filter or something. Yeah. And you don't translate names, like I don't call you son. Well, I think you probably have it somewhere. <laughs> I've got um, a question about Saruman. In the obviously he's presented as a good guy, as Gandalf's uh, you know, old boss or whatever he is, and yeah. teacher. And then he then we have the turn where he's like, Oh, actually he's an evil guy. And that takes about thirty seconds uh, for that reveal, which feels yeah, like a waste of opportunity. Moments to, in the film, yeah, to set this yeah. character up as the good guy who they're going to give information to, and then you're like, "Ooh, but I'm a bit dodgy about him. I'm not sure about him." And then we get the reveal. Is that a bigger thing in the book, and they just had to cut something out because it feels like that's a waste of opportunity for a bit of drama and narrative and stuff. I I totally agree. I I think that was done far too quickly. I if I remember, I think in the books Gandalf was a bit more cautious with Saruman. I, I think he he wasn't like directly suspicious, but he you know he didn't fully trust him. I think at that point, mm. so he wasn't going down there like, oh my best friend, let me tell you everything. Yeah. So it, it was a little different. So I agree. I think they they rushed that part. Mm. Um, so I made a note here, one hour in, it was holding me with the ring rates thing uh, the first time on horseback, but now that they've turned up again and Gandalf's on a roof, I'm starting to get bored. <laughs> and there's two hours left. <laughs> um, so, okay, we do have Arwen uh, turns up here and saves Tyler. Frodo. Yeah, and then we have a, a really boring bit that is obviously going to drag out for the next few films where... Oh, her and Viggo Mortensen have got a thing going on, and that's going to be. A oh my god! That nobody cares about. I, I wrote. I literally made the note here. Why am I being asked to care about some romance between Liv Tyler and Viggo Mortensen? All of a sudden, yeah. is that Liv Tyler? Uh, it's yeah. irrelevant. I don't care. These characters are dumb. Side quest bullshit. Yeah, I just <laughs> couldn't care less. Couldn't give less of a shit about yeah. those two and their romance and the fact that like. Like, I only just got introduced to this character a second ago. We we should be coming up to the third act climax at this point. We're nearly 90 minutes into the film. I don't care. Let's get the <laughs> yeah. ring in the lava. Uh, and as if all that wasn't bad enough, uh, Orlando Bloom shows up. Yeah. So yeah. I thought he played the role that he was trying to play. I don't think he can play any other role well, but I think he kind of fit what Legolas was in the books. I genuinely forgot he was in anything apart from Pirates of the Caribbean. It, like I was actually surprised to see him. He was fine. He, he, yeah, that role. He looks like a beautiful elf boy, you know. Mm. I mean, that was that role. It's the same in the books. It's kind of it's just there to fill a gap, I think. But I think Orlando Bloom's career progression has been the proof of his talent, and yeah. that's why he's not in films anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Although you know. he is going out with Katy Perry, though, isn't he? Russell Brand's runoff. Is that is that supposed to be a good thing? No, I'm not saying it's good or bad. Um, I might have that wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what's happened. So yeah, we're in the Elf Land, which is called Rivendell. Rivendell and or Emladris in the Elvish tongue, of course. Um, we have Kate Blanchett now. I want to bring up the Kate Blanchett character. Wait, Kate Blanchett doesn't come into it until the sort of oh, the last third of the film. Isn't she an elf? No, yeah, but not for like another hour and a half. All right, all right, we'll come back to that. So we've got Liv Tyler and Hugo Weaving here. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. yes, they're the elf king and princess. Yeah, and the elves 
Like, they're obviously supposed to be kind of a utopian, immortal race, but they come over really arrogant. Yeah, arrogant, bickering, (laughs) bunch of knobheads. Nothing to really show for it. It's like, yeah, right, you've got a nice house next to a waterfall, (laughs) but, like, anyone can, you know, again, that's New Zealand's a beautiful country. What Mm, have you done so good with it? Yeah, and I'll tell you what they haven't got. They haven't got KFC. Uh... (laughs) They don't appear to have any video games. Netflix. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, not that impressed. Yeah, but they haven't got heart disease and diabetes either. <laughs> the hobbits have. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking elves. And that's why that's why we always depict elves as being little gimps <laughs> who help out Santa instead of <laughs> what they're really like. So... Everyone comes to Rivendell in a kind of like, look, that's the place to go for a nice, calm summit. Why are the elves so special? Like, why is it because they're immortals? They've just got wisdom, life, many centuries of wisdom on their side. It, I think that's the vibe they were going for. Um, plus, yeah. Elrond's been about since the first stage, so you know he's old as shit. Yeah, yeah, Elrond Hubbard. He's the leader, and he <laughs> he's. So he summons some sort of council, which includes uh, some of our principal actors and some other people who don't speak. Yeah. And at all, yeah. We get introduced to Sean Bean's character and there and the, the Legolas Gimli, but but it's it's literally because I in my memory of it, it's like oh yeah, they summon this fellowship thing. They're like these are the best people to do this quest, but it's literally the ones who which go, would be. Which would be cool if this film was like we've got to get a team together, down oh, and they have to like know, go to great. the elf, the elf uh, village and get the best elf on side, and he's like, oh, "I know a dwarf." Uh, no, and they, they come in together. and there's an archery competition, and he splits yeah, yeah, the other yeah. arrow in twain, and then they're, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh my god, he's the guy." <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good film. That'd be amazing. And then, like they, they'd have a, a dwarf. They, they go to the dwarfs and they'd have some sort of wrestling competition where, they're, like, they're fighting to see who's the strongest warrior. And then, just as one of them's going to win, Gimli like trips him up with his axe and he falls on his no, face. No, no, and no, then Gimli like no, goes, no, Aha, no, 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 <laughs> no. But Alan, no. What happens is they go to like it's like a bunch. It's like a wrestling community that having a big wrestling com- competition, and it's like big giant like sumo looking guys. And then one of them, like, falls over and goes, Whoa! and they're like, what? And the camera pans down, and it's only little Gimli's, like, knocked him over. And you think, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting a little dwarf to <laughs> have all that strength and power. That'd be his scene. No, I think it'd be best if they went They went to the dwarf land, and then they're, like, going, we are looking for Gimli. We have heard he is the greatest warrior of the land. And, and he's just there, like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely me. And like, yeah, it's it's you, you're Gimli. Yeah, 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 I've got an axe. And then they take him, and then like halfway through the third film, it's like, oh, my name's Steve. <laughs> I'm just, I'm a chancer. I didn't realise it was going to get so serious. I thought I was just going to get be, paid for something. That would be brilliant, because everyone watching it would be like, the first film would finish, and they'd be like, did anyone think it was a bit weird, the way Gimli was so obviously like, Pretending <laughs> to be Gimli, the way they performed it, that scene isn't it? Is that going to pay off? And then <laughs> there'd be a second film where no, and then the third film is when they get the payoff. That'd be brilliant. 
I must say, I, I don't know much about this franchise, but I I don't think they do much of the um, setup and payoff that they really should have done. You know, when they made Back to the Future Part 2 and 3, yeah. uh, they shot them back to back, so they put loads of little gags in the second one that paid off in the third one. Yeah. You know, like that, that Gunman video game, and then they kind of do the same thing, but in the actual Wild West in the third one, and just stuff like that. I just feel like there should be a load of little gags in in this film that pay off in the next one, like like uh, Frodo plants a, a seed, and then they come back there in the third film, and it's a nice plant, <laughs> <laughs> and he picks a tomato off it. It's like yeah, and eats it. Uh, I've made a note here: one hour thirty, boring as fucking shit. But they've just established the fellowship. So maybe it'll get going now. Yeah, my note there was Orlando Bloom is shit. So I think I was at the same point. <laughs> yeah. But ge- genuinely, though, I was still on board insofar as like, I was like, right, the fellowship's together. Now we're getting going. Let's do this. And it is a bit of a crap coming together. Like I said, it's not, yeah, yeah we need to we need to bring together a team. It is just like, they're the people who go, oh, I'll, I'll go. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'm, I'm free this weekend. So, yeah, one of whom's like fucking embarrassed himself by trying to whack this magical object with an axe <laughs> and just like falling on his ass in front yeah, of everyone. So that that's the best you can get is that level of moron. Yeah, because he says "and my axe" like immediately, like forty-five seconds after he's just smashed his axe <laughs> on a magic. No, no, no. Gimli has multiple axes. He's got an axe up every orifice. Yeah, and he's only going to let him have one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I made a complaint here, just how many fucking times are they going to do this thing where the camera, like, flies down through all the evil orc buildings and construction they're doing to create this evil army, and, like, the first time you kind of have that, you know, like, almost drone movement, like, the camera's flying around, and it's all CGI, obviously, and there's all this, you know, it's like a Where's Wally picture, just, like, orcs doing stuff, and you're flying past it all. First time they do it, cool. Great. Second time they do it, alright. But at a certain point in this film, that just becomes their establishing shot. You know, like how you'd have a shot of the apartment and friends in New York, and then it'd go to inside the the flat, yeah, and they'd just yeah, be yeah. like, could I be any more in friends? In this, it's <laughs> like, every time they want to go back to the Orc town, they have to do like a 30 second camera flying all over the place. It's just boring. Part of the problem here is that the, the bad guy side of this whole thing is not fleshed out very well. You get a bit of history on Saruman, but Saruman, I don't know what his, why he's involved here. Why did he turn to the dark side? You know what? 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 He just went. Look, it's and... it's. Um, well, he says to Gandalf, doesn't he? He says, "Come on, let's let's just be evil. It's easier for us, and you know, when we we're gonna lose if we're good. So let's just like help him out, and then we'll get." you know, put in charge and it'll be cool. Yeah, it just feels like it's not like, uh, you're not seeing both sides of the argument here, right? Yeah, I I uh, kind of agree, yeah. So the, the so that's why the bad the bad guys just become a nebulous sense of, of bad and, and not very uh, not very uh, fleshed out or nuanced or anything like that. And then they get to a door and an octopus comes out. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's about right. <laughs> a bit of action, isn't it? Just a, a, an action beat for the sake of an action beat. Doesn't drive the narrative. Doesn't well, it, change. No, because it it, tra- it traps them in the mind, though. That was what that did. Mm. Yeah, but they could just as easily they walk in and the doors close behind them because they're magic doors that open when you say. Yeah, but then then they can just open them again. They could just as easily 
go, right, this is the way we have to go to get to Mount Doom now. Yeah, they're going to the mine for a reason. They're going through the mine. It's not an accident. We have to go through the mine. That's the way. Okay. You know the whole one action beat every ten pages thing, right? That you're taught when writing scripts, right? Yeah. Now, the idea probably isn't that each action beat should last 15 minutes. Because that's why we have a problem here. It's it's meant to be like a 30 second to a minute of action and then you get on with the plot. It's not like... Oh, God. It's this film. It feels like an eight-year-old just like go playing with their toys. Going, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then a then an octopus comes, and then a wizard's there, and then a guy comes. It's like on a good road trip movie, which is basically what this is. Um, you get that, but each set piece is pushing the meta narrative forward, and the protagonist's story arc is being developed each time they have a set piece. It's like got purpose and it's changing something about the relationship between the characters and their relationship to the world. These characters do not change at all. So it's just pointless set pieces to kill time. Yeah. And it feels like you're watching it all in real time. It's like, well, I guess the style of this film is they don't miss anything out. But then you find <laughs> out that like 17 years have passed <laughs> since like the last scene. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was a big part about of how the way Tolkien wrote as well. He, I don't think he planned out his narrative. I think he just kind of went with it. And then if he had to, he'd maybe just scrap a piece, go back and then start writing again. Yeah. Which, you know, might have been vaguely acceptable if he was writing this as like a weekly column in a mm. paper publishing the further adventures of Frodo. Mm. But it's not. It was a huge fucking book, and his publisher should have sent it back and said, sort this out. (laughs) I think they tried to. I mean, that's it. I've made a note here. It's not a story. It's a fucking shopping list. It's not a narrative. It's a fucking Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) Lord of the Rings is an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) There's no momentum or connective tissue holding any of the set pieces together. It's just one thing after another. and like a, a. it's a list of dates and character names, and they've all got silly names, and none of the characters have actually got any personality beyond it's an elf, all elves are um, angry, it's a, an orc, all orcs are evil, it's a hobbit, all hobbits, hobbits have the most character because hobbits like to eat food, and they've got hairy feet, and they're gormless. <laughs> and then a cave troll turns up. Yeah, and you know a cave troll's coming because Sean Ming goes, yeah, they've brought a bloody cave troll, haven't they? Uh, just before it turns <laughs> up. Because they haven't established that they have cave trolls in this universe or what that might be. So they have to have some, a character announce it before it turns up. Yep. Like an impressionist in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that cave troll scene was quite boring. That fight scene didn't do anything for me. Um, because well, it's a big bloody cra- cave troll... Uh, that's all CGI. It's all like lots of quick camera pans to hide stuff and 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 just like they're all just fighting something that's not there, or like a tennis ball and a stick or whatever. And so no, I, I don't disagree. All, it feels like the Harry Potter troll bathroom troll. So it's just but like, I think if that if that cave troll happened fifteen minutes into the film, I think it'd be a good fun little bit of action, mm-hmm. and then we get on yeah. with it. But it's two hours into the movie. And I made the note, two hours, and I hate this movie so much, and I hate Lord of the Rings, and I hate everything about it. 
But also, that scene, they have a cave troll. Isn't that the first time that they've had to fight with the orcs? Are they orcs? Yeah, yeah. So the first time you fight with them, you don't want to bring in new bits. You want to beat the orcs like at their own game. And then like the next time, it's like, oh, they brought a bloody cave troll. Yeah, but they haven't just brought in a bloody cave troll because they've also brought in a bloody Balrog. That was incidental. I know, but it's like the film can't fucking make up its mind. for It's just end bosses. It's like playing Resident Evil 4. It's like, all right, just stop it. The Balrog was kind of teased out earlier in the film, though. So there, there was talk of, obviously, the big demon fire or something being under the Mines of Moria. You're not quite sure what it is, but you just kind of... There is this touch upon something being there. Then don't bother with the cave troll. I, I agree. I thought the cave troll was excessive. And rewatching it, I don't think it, it holds up as well uh, in film as it, as it used to. Or at least I remember it mm. holding up. So I also, do think that was the way excessive. Also, the way that Balrog is awoken is fucking the Scottish Hobbit, therefore the most stupid one, <laughs> makes too much noise whoa, whoa, and therefore whoa. wakes up the, the dra- hell dragon. Arsehole. <laughs> Which is the most stupid Hobbit, Sean? <laughs> you, you'll know. Uh, Fatty Bulger, probably. But he wasn't in the film, so it's fine. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, and then we have this, we have the epic moment where Gandalf dies, um, but by but to save the others. That's a nice set piece, because it's got some character stuff going on as well. Um, it's not just for its own sake. John Rhys Davis refuses to be tossed off, which is nice. Um... <laughs> And so that whole thing works all right for me, and you've it got does. This Gandalf I, I, death. I'm not mm. a huge fan of how the Balrog has one of those tricky last-minute extending fire whips where it looks <laughs> like he's gone, but then at the last minute he's able to kind of flick it up and just knock Ian McKellen down. But he knocks him in such a way that he has enough time to kind of grab onto the ledge and say a line to the hobbits before he falls down, instead of just going flying into the abyss. What's he say? Something like, get a move on. Fly, you fools. <laughs> yeah, get a move on, you dickheads. I think that's what it was. <laughs> uh, that's just good cinema. Uh, and then Malfoy shows up. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Uh, Haldir, is he called? Halder? How do you oh, say Haldir, that? yeah. Haldir. Craig, Craig Parker. Who's this then? Um, I don't know, but no, I she, mean, he takes him to uh, Kate Blanchett. But yeah, you never, Blanchett. You, you never, ever, ever need to introduce a major new character in the last quarter of a movie. <laughs> unless it's like unless it's the last 30 seconds setting them up for the next one. You, It's just not necessary. And then, as if he wasn't enough, they add in Kate Blanchett properly. It's like, oh god, let's get on I with mean, it. I mean, is not really a main character, he's more of a side character. Yeah, yeah. And Kate Blanchett, she was introduced at the start when she gave the prologue. No, she's she's implicitly hinted at. No, you, you you see her you see her on screen. You know it's her. It's like okay, that, that's I know her. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> but also the weird, weird thing about her character is Galadriel. Is that right? Yeah. She's talking to Frodo, and there was just something about the way it was shot and the music or the lighting or something. I was like, this is a bad guy. This is she's a bad guy, right? Something's about to happen. And then she does go into this kind of weird evil thing, which is obviously like her being tempted by the ring, and she manages to pull it back and everything. But Wor- like, Worst I, scene in the film. Obviously, I didn't hear anything she said. I didn't take any of that in. But 
what the sense I got from that was that she's a bad guy. And so I'm still, and bear in mind, it's been ages since I've seen this, and I'm still yeah, to watch yeah. the next two films. I think she's going to be a bad guy. I think there's going to be some turn there where she's like an evil one. But we'll see, I guess. Because if, it's, yeah. if she's not, it was just a bit of a weird thing. Weirdly filmed thing. <laughs> I agree. I, I feel that was completely mishandled by Peter Jackson and... And that scene in is particular it, is, is was it to try and give it weird. a weird tone deliberately, just to keep you off your balance. And well, I, I don't really know what he was thinking with that one. I think he was trying to go with like, oh, you know, she's someone you don't really know. You know, she's a bit old and powerful, and and you know, is she a threat? But it, it doesn't really. I don't think it works well because literally the next scene, it's like, oh, here are all these presents now. We wish you well on your journey. And the 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 green kind of change to whatever that was about when she's like shouting and the lights start flaring there's all this green i didn't really understand that i don't know why that was thrown in well it's that's the ring on effect on her isn't it i guess (sighs) well yeah but like that that to me that was just too weird Mm, yeah i don't know that whole scene but like at this point i don't know who she is why she is I may have checked out by this point because I, I don't. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'll, I'll go one further. At, uh, at this point, I don't care who she is. Yeah. What did? did she, didn't she give him a magic potion? Is that basically the whole reason she's there? She gave him the yeah. She gave him the, the little vial with the the light stored and and the liquid inside it, which which yeah. was kind of relevant for the third film in a kind of Bond Q scene. Here's something you'll definitely use later in an important point of the plot. Yeah. I'd, Although I don't think it really paid off in the third film anyway, so like I agree that scene probably could have been completely cut out of the film, and it wouldn't have made it any worse. Is this an element? And we haven't really discussed this. Are they just like any female character we have to get in because there are no female characters in this fucking thing? I mean, talk about old white men in Hollywood. I mean, <laughs> okay, I appreciate it was written in a different time. And I imagine J.R. Tolkien, you know, was an old white man at the time. <laughs> and it was a different, different well, I'm world. I'm pretty here. sure he was at one point. But, I mean, there are literally, what, two women in this film? Three, if you count Orlando Bloom? There's just nothing <laughs> female representation at all. And obviously, There's a woman hobbit who falls over in the other start. <laughs> oh, there is, oh, there's a woman hobbit who who looks at her husband disapprovingly and like hits him with a rolling pin or something right at the beginning <laughs> because he's like looking at someone's ass or something. I can't remember what what he did, but yeah, there, there are and I, I assume that is straight from the books. You know, there's just no females in it. Is that right? Well, in the books, there's like Galadriel and then Eowyn in the second book, but you don't really see Arwen mm. much. Mm. In the first place, she she's been completely brought into the the forefront of the film just to sell uh, that lust. Um, yeah. yeah, well, they yeah. they out and out in, like invented a new character for the Hobbit films, didn't they? Because they didn't have any women, yeah. so they just thought, well, let's just make one up. Which I would have been all for if they did that well. I think it's interesting. Even in twenty years since this was made, if you were approaching this now, you would make one of that fellowship at least one of those fellowship a woman. Yeah, Legolas maybe because that's the obvious choice. Wouldn't have to change the character anyway. <laughs> Um, but also, you would throw some color in here. Like, come on, guys! This is, and it's just like in twenty years, that's changed so much. You know, you just could not. Yeah, and because yeah. I assume, it, like, you wouldn't want to go. Okay, all the dwarves are black, right? Because that would create an even more apparent kind of racial divide yeah, between yeah, these yeah, tribes. Yeah. 
But you would just throw some color all over the place. Oh yeah, that one's black. That one's Chinese. Whatever, right? It's, exactly. It's, exactly. Yeah yeah. 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 And I, I, and I think it's very telling that even twenty years ago, not only did they not think we should do that just for the hell of it, but also no one was bothered in the audience. No one's, <laughs> no one said, "Hey, this is a bit Hollywood, so white, isn't it?" <laughs> so you know, maybe the world is changing after all. Yeah, and I wouldn't have a problem with changing like any of the races or or genders of any. Of the no, I don't think like, it would it, matter. It's really, not something it, that bothers me at all. Because even like something like Gimli, Gimli is a kind of distinctly masculine character, very macho kind of bravado knobhead. But you make mm. that female character, and it would work, perhaps with a slight hint of irony that this woman has had to take on this very kind of macho-y bravado role because she comes from a, a, a tribe or a world where that's what gets you success. Um, yeah. So like, I think none of the characters are uh, sort of unchangeable here. Although I bet you you couldn't get away with it with Aragon. But apart from that, you probably could. <laughs> Two hours 30, I made the note. <laughs> I have no idea what the fuck is happening anymore. I don't care. I hate this fucking bullshit so much. I'm never, ever, ever going to watch this horse shit again. This is it. I'm done. Thank fuck. <laughs> so, looking forward to the next two then. I also made the note <laughs> that I I cannot believe there's a longer cut of this horse shit. And, hmm. uh, and then I made the note, why does the ring make you invisible? Because that just seems like, what's that about? Just an arbitrary thing, isn't it? And then I made the note, I'm on the fucking Lord of the Rings wiki trying to make sense of this. I hate this so much. <laughs> and I did actually find an answer. It's to do with how it like takes you between realms or some shit. And, uh... So just speaking <laughs> of an extended version there, Sean, can you, can you give us an idea of what we're missing from the extended version so we don't have to watch it? Is there any extra information that's useful? So yeah, a lot of it is just like small extra tidbits that you don't really need in the film. Um, some of them are just kind of little nods to to parts of the book. Um, like there, there's a scene when Ar- Aragorn visits his mother's grave in Rivendell, and Elrond kind of has a little heart to heart with like you know you need to pick up your destiny you know take on the mantle. Um, there, there's a, a scene at the start where Bilbo is kind of writing in his book and he he gives the main introduction to Hobbits and things. So nothing that you really need. Um, and I think they it was good that they, they did cut out these scenes because it it does make the film drag on quite a bit. And Saul, you would have fucking hated the extended version. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so the last major sort of plot point is the death of Boromir. Uh, and his kind of like, he gets tempted by the ring, Frodo runs away, and... Um, then there's a big fight, and Boromir gets redemption uh, by s- sacrificing himself to save the others. Or trying to, anyway. Yeah, yeah I mean, they take the bor- the. I was going to say the borrowers there. <laughs> they take the hobbits, uh, nonetheless. Um, so, But yeah, he gets his big moment. Sean Bean gets to act. I've never been particularly convinced by Sean Bean as actor, to be honest with you. I don't think yeah, he's bad. Yeah, he's a bit shit. But I don't think he's great either. He does all right here. He's got a nice death scene. I think in it's better fine. hands, that could have been a totally devastating moment. And, and yep. it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but fair enough. You have a nice little moment with Viggo Mortensen and all that. And I I like, and I, I wish we had more of it, that, you know, you setting off with a group of nine people, there's a reason you put, you put that many characters in when only one of them is important. It's because you want to be able to pick some off 
and have a bit of stakes, have some death and go, oh shit, this is serious. And I think it works in this film because you have Gandalf and then you have Boromir. They fucked that up by bringing Gandalf back, obviously, as I know that is going to happen. And then none of the rest of them die, I don't think. So this is your chance. And that's a shame. I think you don't want to split them up. You don't want to have side quests. You don't. And then it's like, oh, Frodo's gone off on his own with Sam. Hey, let's all go and try and save Merry and Pippin. It's like, no, let's not. Shall we not? Because that's <laughs> not relevant to this main story. And it sounds like it's going to be an extra two hours. It's like we have no purpose. Like this, we're, The stakes are... We've got to go and take this ring here and destroy it to save the universe, right? We're going to destroy evil in the world. And then it's like, oh, should we just go and save a couple of kids that we don't really know, but we're going to decide they're our mates? It doesn't play. It doesn't work. If this is a massive epic tale or it's a side quest, you know what? Have you seen the Two Towers album? I've I've definitely seen them all, but it was I mean, it's probably 15 years ago. Like, I can't remember any yeah, real yeah. details. I, I did have the feeling watching this several times that this would work better as TV and had these films never been made, I, I think if this was going into production now, it would just be a TV show. Yeah. But I suppose that's post-Game of Thrones and it'd all just be like, oh, what's the next Game of Thrones? Let's say Game of yeah, Thrones yeah. never got made either. I still think this would have been approached now as a TV, prestige TV series. And yeah. I think it would have worked a hell of a lot better because you know... Three, four, however many seasons you're going to squeeze out of it with ten episodes apiece or whatever, you've got time to do the bullshit episode where they go and find Pippin and whoever the mm. fuck, and it, it, like you can waste a bit of time and dilly dally yeah, about. I agree with that. And like I said, I watched. I ended up watching this film in three sections, um, and I stopped at an appropriate point. It was like the end of the first act, and I was like, okay, this is a good place to have a break. I didn't just randomly stop at an hour. So it was like the first sort of about 55 minutes and then it was about an hour and 10 or something like that for the next section and then 50 minutes. And it worked quite nicely just to have a break and and I think this this could lend itself to episodes. But you would obviously, you would expand it more. You could have the whole first episode just setting up Bilbo and, and, and Frodo and, and, and Gandalf and the whole, and the kind of the end of the first episode would be, mm. oh my God, that is the Ring of Pure Evil. I thought yeah. it was, you know, like that would be the first episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I think it would have worked a lot better because it just wouldn't have felt like such a slog, and like you could pick each little chapter in a way so that you could give it a beginning, a middle, and an end, and some structure within each story within each episode. And I mean that—that's my main issue with this film. That I suppose we're coming back to here is there's no ending, there's no conclusion. <sighs> It is it is a beginning and a middle. Yeah. And then you're expected to come back next year for the next three hours, which doesn't even have a beginning, just a middle. It is an odd thing, and it's something I complained with in the sort of more recent Star Wars films as well. It's like that's... It is like, oh, but this is, this is going to happen in the next film. It's not quite so bad, and it's something well, you don't... The thing is, at least, at least the three new Star Wars films have story structure at least they have a beginning a middle and an end there's a conclusion there are story arcs that play out like they do work as standalone stories although there's obviously lots of lingering threads left up in the air um things to tidy up but you do get a kind of satisfying 
conclusion, you know? Like, I, I defended um, Avengers Infinity War for ending on a big cliffhanger up in the air mm. on the note because uh, because that is Thanos' story. And his story, we get the solid beginning, middle, end, and it, his arc is complete. So yeah. from that perspective, you get the co- you know coherent, completed whole. There's just nothing of that here. It is literally like... And frankly, I imagine this is how they approached it, um, when J.R.R. Tolkien was dividing up his book for the publisher, I don't think they thought, right, what's a good moment to kind of end this? And I don't think he went back and rewrote any of it to be a conclusive ending. I think they just went, right, first however many pages, how many pages are there? Right, this many, divided by three, the end. Like, <laughs> that's the end of that one, that's the end of this one. But I do think that it it wouldn't be too difficult with the material you've got here, it wouldn't be too much of a shift to focus it really on Frodo, because it's focused on him anyway. Focus yeah. it really on him, give him a much bigger character arc from where at the start yeah. he's just like, what the fuck, I just wanted to go out and maybe go backpacking around yeah. India or something, I didn't want to do this shit. And then, exactly. and then like by the end he's like, I have to do this, and you know what, maybe I even have to do it on my own, because exactly. with other people's help I'm not going to prove myself. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't take much to change that, would it? That is what struck me with this this viewing and really pissed me off. Is and made me think, no, you know what, this isn't actually a very well made film in a lot of ways. Because I used to, like I say, I used to kind of have the opinion that, well, this is a technically incredibly well made film, but I just don't like the creative choices to not have an ending and the writing style of Tolkien. But I think it's actually quite badly made in a lot of ways. And one way is this, because like you say, it's so there for the for the taking. It's such low-hanging fruit to just kind of give him a satisfying arc. And he doesn't really have one. And it doesn't really feel like they try to give him one. It, it feels like mm. what is there is kind of being eked out of just happenstance but it wouldn't have been hard but i suppose it's just this thing that you know jackson peter jackson presumably thinks the books are perfect and (laughs) you don't want to fuck with them too much i don't know but then apparently he did fuck with them a lot so i just think it's it is unforgivable in a three-hour film to not have some sense of closure at the end here, even if it's lingering and making us want to come back for more. Because there's frankly not three hours of story in this film. So I I, I mean, every time I force myself to sit through this film, I've kind of come down on the opinion of it being worse than I remembered, and that happened again <laughs> with this. I This is a terrible <laughs> film. Um, I hate it, and it's it's unforgivable in many ways, such as the lack of plot. It, it's it's like being trapped in a lift with a child who is playing some like some new it's like Ben Ten or something, something I have no interest or knowledge in, and they're just there trying to show me like all the Ben Ten aliens, and I don't care, and they just they won't stop. That's what this film is like. You're there for six hours while the technicians come and fix the lift. You can't get out. You can't breathe. This kid shoving Ben 10 aliens in your face. It was a strangely specific example. <laughs> I think, it, honestly, if you were designing like personal heaven and personal hell for people, I think my, my personal hell would be watching a never-ending cut of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> 
the fellowship of the <laughs> ring. Well, welcome to hell because we got two more weeks left. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make one last complaint. <laughs> My notes. It's a general one, and that is this is what I didn't like about the film is that it's so kind of po-faced and sincere. It just it just felt like this needs like twenty percent more comedy. Play up yeah. those characters. Let Mary and Pippin off the leash a little bit, yeah, rather than just use the them as kind of bumbling clowns. The moments they have are okay. You know, Gandalf sets off some fireworks at the start. Yeah. Little moments like that. It's like, oh, a bit of personality, a bit of brevity. Mm-hmm. Bilbo works because he's got a sense of humour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way he disappears in front of everyone, it's like, oh, nice. He's, you know, playing around with them. Fun. I like this character. Yeah, I, I agree. But yeah, and, and Viggo Mortensen is, is probably the sort of the pinnacle of that. Like, totally sincere. And Okay, you can have one character that's like that all the time, but it's just yeah. I think it's it's difficult in a world like this to ask me to take everything so seriously. I think you need yeah. to be able to undercut yourself a little bit without actually destroying your own world, which is perhaps a fine balance. But I think if you're going to do it, then do it. You know, mm. I, I'm sure there's a lot of people just like seething at that though, because that's something the Marvel films and the modern Star Wars films get criticised for heavily now. The fact that every other line is like a little quip or a little something that undercuts the um, severity and the sincerity of it all. But but it makes it so much more tolerable and watchable. I, yeah, I think that's why those films are so successful. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's the they fly now line from Star Wars. It's, you know, Im- imagine a Lord of the Rings where every other line was someone just going... Really? Okay, I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> but they're so we yeah, have. Exactly. But, but imagine how much better that would be. It's a four. <laughs> it's a four day trek through this mine. Whoa, four days for real, yeah. dude! Perfect. <laughs> I'd watch yeah, that. I mean, I'd to see that. But... <laughs> it'd be easy to do as well. Like you just get Gimli. Could just be more like. I said, let's get out there and twat him. You know, like he's just a bit more kind of. Even just the language, you could play with that and make it work within the same characters. Radical! <laughs> yeah, there's like a big fight, and it's like Mary's run off to have a shit, and he comes back and he's like <laughs> doing his trousers up. And he's like, what happened, guys? And there's a load of dead orcs around. <laughs> Did I miss anything? <laughs> um, can I just to take us back to something? We were talking earlier about if, how this would work as a TV series. You're saying, like, if Game of Thrones had never been made or if the films have never been made. I don't know. How far away do you think we are from Lord of the Rings TV series? Because Oh, I think it's, it's happening. The, They're making one. The, oh, is it? Oh, there you go. For Amazon, I was going to say, I don't think... Surely we're not that far away from it, right? Amazon Prime are pumping insane amounts of money into a, a Lord of the Rings TV series at the minute. And oh, really? I think right it's ambiguous... Yeah, it's not going to be a remake of the film. Like, it's not doing the story from the books. My understanding is it seems like it's going to be expanding set within the world of the films and that continuity mm. and expanding That's... upon it. Well, well that was my point story. was going to be. My point was going to be that the reason you won't get a TV series of this is because the films were too successful. It's like they're too identified with that now. And so it wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, let's take those books and adapt them again. Yeah. It, it's just like the films are too large, loom too large in that world. But yeah, create it's a big story world, so yeah, you can play with it. Plus it gives you freedom to do whatever you want with the characters. I, like, that's I what Game of Thrones a, had a trouble with, didn't yeah. it? Trying to stick to the novels. 
I don't know if anyone knows for sure if it's set in the same continuity as the films or not, but I think there's a few people involved who are involved in the films that would suggest it is. Like if you say it afterwards, though, if you say it like, yeah. okay, that was the ba- the big battle of whatever, and now what happens after that? And you can you can play with that as much as you want. So my understanding is that this is going to be set in the the past. Um, so oh, really? Way before Ooh. any of the things took place. I think so, yeah. Well, that makes sense as well. It means you can't really fuck anything up, can you? Because I think there's been issues with the Tolkien estate about like them not yeah, being there's some rights legally stuff. allowed to use like Gandalf or any of the characters from the Lord of the Rings era. They have to just stick to that time period. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, I, I think there's some people from like the Peter Jackson side of things that are involved in the TV series, but the Tolkien estate are very separate to that or something like that. So it, yeah, it's all kind of yeah. Um, should we rate this one out of 10 then, Fellowship? Yeah, I think you should go first. So. Um, <laughs> okay, well, when I first saw this in the cinema, I think my initial rating basically was 6 out of 10, and that was very begrudging. Like, I don't like this film, but I don't have enough conviction in my own beliefs at this point to kind of stand up. So I'll give it a 6, I'll kind of compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I rewatched it with you guys in Brixton. I think that was the last time I watched this film and hated it so much I put it down to a 5 out of 10 because I was like, no, you know what? It's bad. It is a bad film. <laughs> and that that is the cutoff point for Rotten Tomatoes where it goes from like bad to good, 5 or 6. Uh, and I watched it again last night and I, I hate it so much and I thought even less of it than ever before. So I've bumped it down to 4 out of 10. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> which, which, which I think, all things considered, and to say how much I hate this film, I think that's actually quite fair. Because, <laughs> because, like, I want to go in and give this like one or two out of ten, but I'm going. No, you know what? There's there is some good in it. I'm giving it some acknowledgement for like the music and the set design and the costumes and you know, it, there's some nice stuff in there. Four out of ten. Well, let's go in ascending order, then I'll go next. <coughs> um, I mean, I, based on what we've said, I'm sure you got a sense of my opinion. I, I don't hate it particularly. There's obviously flaws that I think there are there. I think there's so much scope for it to be a bit better. I don't like the concept of it being like a, not a standalone film, particularly all that sort of problems. But ultimately, I found it pretty watchable, a kind of plodding, fine film. And therefore gave it a, a, a sort of low seven. Oh, really? Mm. Wow, I really do hate this film more than you. Wow, I thought we were on the same way. <laughs> I, I, I don't have any sort of real vehement passion towards my hate. It was just more kind of mild disappointment. I suspect this is going to be my favourite of the three, actually, to be perfectly honest with you. Oh, but really? we'll see about that. We'll see I reckon happens. I'm... I reckon I'm going to like the third one the most, but like my my main issue is watching this, and I, I say this having not seen the third one yet, I don't believe for a second, based on the pacing here, I do not believe for a second that the whole entire story couldn't be told in a three-hour film. Because this mm-hmm. film only needed to be 80 minutes long, 90 minutes, so maybe call it three and a half hours long. Uh, I guess we'll talk about that more in the third one when I've seen it all, but um so i mean for me i I love these films i've i've always loved these films uh these films were the reason that i I wanted to get into film in the first place um and a a big part of that was 
a, a big part of that for me was was how they made these films too. You know, they started the pre-production three years before they were due to start filming. You know, you could tell that everyone on board with this film was in love with it and wanted to try and do the best yeah. that they could. Regardless of how you think of the finished product, I think that they really, really tried to do right by this film. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think a lot of that passion for me carried over into the film. I, I love the film overall. I, I was surprised by the length of it the first time I watched it, but I, I don't think I was ever really bored by it. You know, I love all these little beats. Some of them don't always necessarily propel the plot forward, but you know, I quite like the action. And I, I really enjoyed it. So like for me, this film is, I think a solid nine, nine and a half. Oof. Ooh. <laughs> is it nine or nine and a half? Cause nine and a half gets rounded up to 10 round here. Uh, I'll say nine because I am aware there are <laughs> faults and there are things okay, that re watching it, I would change Ooh. about it. Um, Thank God Os 10 Powers doesn't have to make a, a contractual, <laughs> the least enthusiastic <laughs> appearance he's ever made. Um, one last thing then, Sean, before you go. You've been to New Zealand yeah. because you like Lord of the Rings, right? That was the reason you went. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you went in a kind of classic kind of gap year young man going to, to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. journey the world. Did you go and visit the the little Hobbiton thing? Yeah, I, I went to as many of, of the locations as I could. Um, when I went to see it, it was ju- like shortly after they'd finished filming, so all the sets were they were mostly oh, taken you were there down. Before it was cool, um, for the most part, yeah. But the, the sets at <laughs> Hobbiton, it, it was just you know boarded up doors and things. I think the farmer realized when they were about to finish taking it down, he said, "Oh shit, I can make some money off of this." So he kind of said, "No, no, stop, <laughs> just." leave it up um and now it is a it is a finished set they've just left it since they've made the hobbit as as it is and i think it's much more of a tourist attraction but it was it was interesting being there i haven't seen it and is is the new zealand tourism financials that entirely propped up by the lord of rings franchise now just the economy uh, of new zealand based on the, this film i think there was because they they changed the they changed the the workers' union laws when they were threatening to pull the Hobbit out of New Zealand. I think they, <laughs> I, I think there was there was a lot of revenue they were afraid to lose from losing the Hobbit trilogy. So yeah, probably. Is it true they've would, they've renamed the North Island Middle Earth? <laughs> is, that, is that true? It would not surprise me, and I would absolutely love that. Uh, oh well, you know, fair play. You got to use what you've got. No oil. Yeah. Yeah, so fair enough. So we're gonna we're gonna be talking about the other two films. Uh, we, we're bring, we're gonna have other special guests who are Lord of the Rings fans to to, to see if they can justify their uh, their position in the same way you have, Sean. I think you've done a sterling job. <laughs> sterling, um, well, thank but you. just bloody sterling, absolutely sterling. But do you, could you just sort of um, without sort of giving any spoilers, what's on your thoughts on the next two films? Uh, the, the Fellowship was definitely my favourite. And then The Two Towers is actually my next favourite, um, weirdly. Um, but I think part of that is because The Two Towers, when I first see them, saw them, it was a lot of new things for me. There's 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 a very excellent battle sequence in that, I think is one of the best battle mm-hmm. sequences ever put onto film. Uh, yeah. regardless well, that of is what the entire the film, film, isn't it? That That's... that's <laughs> I, but half of the film is, is kind of the build-up and the execution <laughs> of that. God almighty. Um, but you also get, you get introduced to a new character, um, Gollum, 
Uh, and I think his story is is much more interesting. Yeah. As a bad guy, he's he's the most interesting one in the trilogy. Yeah, yeah, okay. I would say so. That I think that brings a nice dynamic into the film that we haven't had so far. Is a villain you can almost relate with. Um, but it was good because that was that was pioneering uh, sort of uh, CG technology using Andy Serkis, obviously to say it made him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that was that was definitely a a next step in filmmaking. I think that is a very solid part of film history was the sort of advent of Gollum and that technology. Yeah. And then Return of the King, I think it does kind of repeat a few of the beats of the two towers. I think the issue Return of the King has is it has another another battle sequence, which I think was done perfectly in the two towers. So it wasn't as exciting, I thought, as, as that. And then you kind of get a... I, I thought it was a good finish to Frodo's character and, and the other characters, and I thought it was ended well. Uh, most people seem to think it's it's got multiple endings, but I, I disagree with that entirely. I think it was, <laughs> it was ended appropriately, and I, I, I think that you can't just suddenly finish a film of this magnitude the way that a lot of people expected it to. All right, good. Um, thank you, thank right, you, Sean. Well, yeah, thanks very and, much. And uh, ju- just just some advice for our listeners: if if I go outside at the minute, should I be should I be touching my face? Um, it depends. Like if you go outside and you're not you're not getting too close to people or you're not touching anything outside, then it, it's fine. It's it's mostly transmitted through through touch and droplets. Okay. So. Okay. And uh, and I and I and and when I when I wash my hands, uh, I I imagine just like put it under the tap. Just for like a second, and then being like, "Right, done. That's probably enough, is it?" Well, so you would think so, but no. What you want to do is get a good amount of soap, <laughs> and you want to wash your hands for a good twenty seconds. Make sure you do all the motions. Get the nails. Get in between the fingers. Get the thumb. Get the fingertips. Make sure you get it all washed. I have a question, Shot. You know when you you're in the hospital and they bring all the corona patients in, they presumably they just put them all in one big room. Uh, is it you who goes round and decides the ones who have to die, and you sort of like check how much use they are to society and how much money they've got, and like the rich ones they're great? Is is that your job, or is that someone else? Does, does a government operative come in and do that, or is it a medical thing? And does it help if you're rich? It would not, no. Bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sean, for, for joining us. And, yeah, thank uh, you, Sean. Listeners, come back next week for The Two Towers um, uh, with another mental Lord of the Rings fan uh, who Sol will argue with, I presume. <laughs> <laughs>